0: Good morning, friends and church family. Thank you so much for joining us for Grace Online. This morning's message is a challenge in regards to the danger of apostasy in the midst of a time of crisis. Before that, we've added some music to our program this week for the opportunity for you to worship with us, and so we want to transition to that. We thank you so much for joining us, and we pray that this service time is a blessing to your heart.
1: Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good late night, whatever it may be. Uh, we are happy that you are here broadcasting in or, or or lining in to the broadcast at Grace Bible Church for our Sunday morning service. It's a little bit different. It's very different doing this in front of uh, some empty chairs. But I'm imagining all your smiling faces and I'm sure that you are laughing out loud at any humor I may try. Uh, because I I really hope that this finds you healthy and happy and uh, just walking in the joy of the Lord, because he is certainly good, and he is sustaining us. Uh, I will just say on a personal level that I look forward to the day that we are back in here together uh, singing loud, uh, loving each other, and uh, just uh, basking in the greatness of our God as as the people of God gather together, because that's what he's calling us to do. And uh, until that time, this works, and we are very, very thankful that you are gathering with us. If you're visiting via online, welcome. And uh, we are a Christ-exalting church who wants to just proclaim the name of Jesus uh, wherever, wherever we go. And uh, so if you are visiting from somewhere else in the world or the country, we are thankful that you're here. I'm going to read from Scripture right now. And it's from Psalm 16, so if you have your Bibles and you want to open to that, I'm reading from the ESV, Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we gather right now to recognize your greatness and your goodness. That you have called us and sustained us and you have brought us life in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the promises that you have given us that you will hold us secure. Lord, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Father, we thank you that even now, as we gather uh, via technology, that your Holy Spirit is with us. He guides us and he directs us. Father, we would ask for your spirit just to um, take strong residence and strong presence in the homes of all of us, Lord, that now as we... As we uh, listen to your word as it is proclaimed and taught to us, Father, that your spirit would move within us to give us peace, to give us direction, to change us, to convict us, to comfort us, to do the job that scripture was meant to do. And so, Father, we gather today knowing that you are a great and mighty God who is so good to send us Jesus Christ and to save us by grace through faith. Be with us now. Lord, continue to keep us and protect us. Father, we would ask very specifically that you would keep the virus away from our people and from all of us, Lord. And if those who are falling ill, we would ask for your healing hand to be upon them. Father, we pray for wisdom for uh, for our, uh, our leaders who are making decisions on how to best handle these things. Father, grant them wisdom and uh, guidance from you. Father, give strength and protection, and uh, supernatural um, supernatural, really ability or, or, or rest and comfort for those who are providing health care at this time, Lord, we would ask that you would protect them, guide them, and be with them. Lord, you are good. You are good always. And Lord, we know, as your word says, your sovereignty rules over all, so we rest in great peace and joy because of that. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. to videotape some music uh, for you and uh, well if you're seeing it it worked and if you don't see it you'll never even know so I don't even have to say that but we hope you're doing well Uh, Wanted to put together two songs here and uh, we hope that your Sunday or your Saturday night or whatever time you choose to uh, take advantage of of the uh, online sermon and service that uh, finds you well and you're doing well god is good he's taking care of all of us and uh the first books are doing well we hope you are too all right here's a couple songs
0: morning's text will be Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 26 through 31. Please join me there in your Bibles if you would. We want to welcome you to our church services this morning to say hello to all of you who are tuning in. Um, Church family, we are glad that you're here listening. If you're visiting with us today uh, through virtual the uh, internet, we thank you for being here. We pray that this Will be a blessing to you. We pray that the music has already been a blessing to your heart and that this message will just encourage you and prepare you for the challenges that you are facing in this difficult time. Hebrews chapter number 10, in these um, verses that we're going to read this morning, there's really a contrast between the verses that we read last week, which deal with the security of the believer. And the embracing of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And, and this week, which is really a, a, a stronger, um, the terms that are used in it are stronger terms meant to motivate us or challenge us to evaluate, to, to stabilize, if you will, in our faith and to make sure, as 1 Corinthians tells us, to be sure that we're in the faith, to, to know if we are believers The title of this morning's message is Strong Words That Lead to Stable Walk, and uh, I'm going to read to you from these uh, several verses, and then we'll pray together, and we'll seek to unpack this passage of Scripture together. The Bible says in verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for this day, for this time that we can spend together in Your Word. We thank You for Your Word And the life that it gives, the encouragement that it gives, the strength that it provides for us, especially in these difficult moments. We're thankful for the warnings that are provided in your word that uh, help, first of all, help us to identify where we're at in our spiritual walk. And then secondly, help us to um, avoid swerving in that walk, to stand firm and to be stable, in the direction that we're going in. And I pray that this message this morning will encourage the hearts of those who are listening um, virtually, and I pray that it will stabilize them, especially during this time of crisis for our culture and for our world. We thank you so much, Lord, for being with us this morning. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you, Lord God, that we can trust in your sovereignty, especially during these difficult times. Uh, Please calm my heart as I preach your word. Please uh, settle me in to communicating the truths that are here. And um, be gracious and merciful, if you would, please. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned already, this uh, passage of Scripture is somewhat of a contrast to the previous passage of Scripture, which is defined by... um, the notes in, in my Bible as the full assurance of faith, and then these verses here, verse 26 down to 31, really deal with this group of people who, um, who apostatize, and, and that really is the theme of this passage of Scripture, is the, it's a warning or a challenge to avoid this idea of apostasy, uh, of moving away from the truth. A few things about this text, this passage of Scripture, these six verses are the strongest of warnings or the strongest of five warnings mentioned in the book of Hebrews that as related to this idea of apostasy. They're very strong warnings, but this this passage of Scripture, these verses actually is the strongest of all of these warnings. We could truly look at the whole theme of the book of Hebrews and describe it as an argument for the superiority and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in order to prevent people from going into apostasy. The strong language that's used in this passage of Scripture is meant to leave an indelible mark or an indelible impression about the true danger of apostatizing. Every passage of Scripture, if we were to be honest, in the Word of God that deals with apostasy, uses strong language such as this passage of Scripture as well. The reason for that is, is because apostasy is a real challenge. It's a, it's a, a true danger that every uh, professing Christian must face and and must deal with. When I was thinking about this passage of Scripture this week, I was thinking of a way to illustrate the strong. Um, the strong terms that are used in this passage of Scripture in order to prevent people from going into apostasy. And what came to mind was when I was growing up as a child, there were a few things on my parents' list of do-not-dos or don'ts that took precedent. Um, These were things that we weren't supposed to do, and they were very high on the priority list of things that we shouldn't do. The reason behind it was likely they would either hurt us in a great way, or they would leave or have a lasting influence on us, a a lasting negative influence on us. This list of don'ts was accompanied by hard words, by challenging words, by strong words, and, and even discipline in our life. And the reason for that is that we would not forget what we were being taught, or we would not slip back into the danger that we were being warned against. It's interesting because as a result of that, there are several of what we would call common temptations, uh, things that most every person deals with in this life. There are a few common temptations that I don't feel like I struggle with, and I believe that it's directly related to the strong warnings, the strong admonition that my parents gave me when I was growing up to avoid these types of things. So in other words, as I mentioned earlier, the title of our message is Strong Words That Lead to Stable Walk. The strong words that my parents used in my upbringing were what led to me having a stable walk in certain areas. And there are other areas that there are weaknesses and challenges that I face that um, maybe we weren't so strong in. But the strong words in this text and the strong words that I face were meant to encouraged, they were meant to motivate us to avoid certain activities or certain actions. You may ask this morning, as you're sitting there in your home, you may ask the question, why preach on apostasy during a time of world crisis? Um, Shouldn't we be talking about the sovereignty of God or the, the power of God or the grace of God or the goodness of God? And all of those things are true, and, and all of those things are important, and, and, and uh, all of those things matter, especially in these moments, in these challenging moments of life. However, um, there are some reasons for continuing to go through the book of Hebrews as we have set out to do, and, and there are some reasons, some connections that we can make, some applications that we can make to the situation that we're going through right now. So while it is true that we are living in a, in a very uh, um, strong health pandemic, uh, a serious health pandemic where people are dying regularly, it is important that as we go through this pandemic that we do not lose sight of the spiritual implications of such a pandemic. It is in times like these that it is the easiest to fall away or to focus on the physical and be distracted from the things that are spiritual. And so there are some reasons why I want to focus on this, and then we'll unpack the text. Let me just give you three of those this morning. Number one is I want you to remember that crisis forms or tests our opinions of God. Crisis, times of crisis, times of difficulty are there to um, really to form us, They're, they're, they're they're structuring us, they're directing us, they're guiding us in certain ways as we think and, and, and how we think. I think of the book of Job and how Job grows through that crisis. And, and in the end, in the beginning and through the middle, there's lots of questions and there's lots of, of doubt and, and concern. And, and in the end, Job concludes by closing his mouth, accepting God for who he is, seeing God for who he is and then um, he says that he had heard of the Lord with his ears, but now he can see him with his eyes. And that is Job being conformed into the image of Christ through a difficult crisis, through a, a difficulty, through a, a challenging time. And so crisis forms us, but crisis not only forms us, but it also tests us. And it's a challenge to our faith. It's a it's a, um, a pressing, a pressure, if you will, on our faith. In crisis, we make a number of determinations about God. In crisis, we make a number of decisions about God. In crisis, our opinion of God is slowly developed and, and uh, it's really made strong as well. The Bible tells us in James 1 Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or faithfulness, and let steadfastness have its full effect or its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, you can see how the trial or the crisis of the the moment for the book of, for the audience of James is is being put into a pressure moment, but they're told to count it all joy in that pressure moment because it's going to produce certain things in their life. And then 1 Peter 1, 7, the Lord talks about the genuineness of your faith being tested, that it's more precious than gold that perisheth, though it is tried by fire, that it may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So why is it important to talk about um, apostasy in the midst of crisis? Because crisis is crisis is what's forming us. It's what's exposing us as well. The second thing about crisis is it distinguishes us. It distinguishes the real from the counterfeit. It distinguishes the wheat from the tares. It distinguishes the sheep from the goats. Uh, crisis is a great way of knowing those that are faithful followers of Jesus Christ and, and perhaps those that are just counterfeit or, or they're just following Christ for the benefits of it and, and not following Christ for who Christ is. And then the third thought that is a reason we would talk about um, apostasy in the midst of crisis is that crisis is altogether slippery. In other words, many many professing Christians slip from their faith. Many professing Christians fall away from the faith during times of, of difficulty, during times of crisis. Not only do we slip away from it, but there are others who change their opinion. They alter their perspective of God in those moments of crisis. A crisis is is a challenging time and a slippery time, a a difficult time. And and it's a time where it's easy to slip away from the truth. And many professing Christians do that. I'm reminded of the story of Cassie Bernal, who was a student at Columbine High School uh, several years ago now when there was the shooting at Columbine. And most of us remember her story because they've written books now and they've made movies about this young girl's story but the story goes that she was asked the question if she believed in god and and that this her answer or her response to that question was going to be a um determiner of life or death for her and the response that she gave was i believe in god and in that moment the uh, the um the shooter took her life and um it was that statement that that uh we believe in, and many believe motivated his decision to to go ahead and and follow through with that. But since then there have been so many different things that have been a result, so many encouragements and blessings that have been a result of of her words, I believe in God. And the, the reason those words mean so much is because of the crisis that she was in when she made that statement. It was the depth of her difficulty, it was the depth of her challenge that made her words so powerful. We can say that we believe in God, and many of us do, especially in times of of ease and and comfort and and, um, when things are going well and we feel God's blessing in our lives. But it's in moments like these where our lives are put to the test that words such as, I believe in God, really, really matter. And we're in a crisis today with this pandemic that we're facing, that our faith in God is being tested, it's being challenged, and the road that we're on is is difficult to where that it would be easy to slip away. So crisis is crisis is altogether slippery. It creates for a slippery life, a slippery direction. The Bible talks about this in Matthew 13 when it's referring to the different soils, it says in verse 20, "As for what was sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. In other words, he receives the gospel, he receives the gospel with joy, but he doesn't receive the gospel with depth. He doesn't, he doesn't receive the gospel with the true meaning of the gospel. Perhaps he receives it because of the benefits that he is going to have because of it. Uh, you know, I'll get to go to heaven or uh, my life will be better or whatever might be the case. He, he receives the gospel, but he receives it without the depths or the roots of the gospel. And the Bible says that he only endures or he only lasts for a short time. And when tribulation or persecution arise. On account of the word, immediately he falls away. So it is these challenging times, these difficult moments, it is these um, crises or trials or tribulations that they test us, they prove us, they, they form us, and, they are, and they are we are warned to make sure that we stand firm, we stand on solid ground in the midst of these things. So with this being in mind, the writer of Hebrews gives us a few thoughts to consider. I just want to present to you this morning over the next few minutes and and challenge your heart in the midst of this this crisis that we be guarded against uh, changing our view of God first and foremost, and then also forsaking Him. Uh, Both are equally dangerous, and, and so I'll present to you a little bit as to why that's important. So, first of all, first thought, if you're taking notes, the first thought this morning is, what is apostasy? What is apostasy? There are two passages of Scripture in the book of Hebrews. There are actually five, but I want to look at two that help us understand a little bit about what apostasy is. So, Hebrews chapter number 2 and Hebrews chapter number 6. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 and verse 1, therefore... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So there's the idea. The idea of drifting away is the idea of apostasy. It's not... uh, The term here doesn't necessarily mean that we drift away, that that's the only way to apostatize, but... The implication is also that what we believe drifts away as well. In other words, there is a a gap created between what we have been holding on to and what we are now um, questioning or challenging. He He says, we must pay close attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away from it. And then in verse number two, for since the message declared by angels proved to be Reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And the second term that's used here is first of all, drifting away and then neglecting. Uh, paying little attention to is the idea of apostatizing here, not counting as important, not holding on to. And then in chapter number six, The author tells us this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have Shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. To restore them again unto repentance. So you'll notice again this falling away, this uh, this separation, this 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 uh, um, negligence towards the truth, this negligent negligence towards that which is, is true and right in the Word of God. The word apostasy means to forsake, to defect, to fall away from, to abandon, or to renounce. And it's always directly connected to truth. So in other words, when you hear of apostasy in the scriptures, you're uh, meant to understand that this is a falling away from that which is, is truthful. If we go back to our text, we'll see a few more details about this idea of apostasy. The Bible says in verse number six, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. In other words, um, what it's defining is, is this a, a deliberate habitual continuing Okay so it's not it's not a one time thing where we where we fall away or we, we struggle or we doubt this is something that is habitual if we, if we go on if we continue in this lifestyle uh, uh, in this belief system 1st John tells us in chapter 3 in verse number 9 that we that we don't habitually sin as believers we don't live habitually in a, a lifestyle of darkness or in a lifestyle of evil. It's not. It's contrary to our nature. It's contrary to what God has done within us. And apostasy is to deliberately, the word here in our text is willfully. The idea of it is, is deliberately, if we, if we willfully and deliberately continue or or stay in, or, or go on in this way of thinking. If we deliberately stay in this way of thinking and continue in it, or returning to error, which is really what Hebrews 6 is dealing with, where they heard the truth and they are returning to error. Here it's dealing more with those who hear the truth and stay in the error. So, for instance, if I hear... And understand the truth, if I let's just say that you're sitting here this morning and you, you hear the truth of God's Word preached, but it's contrary to maybe what you've been taught before, it's contrary to what you know uh, spiritually or what you've been taught in, in a church or in a denomination, and you, you choose to, to hold on to what you know rather than following the truth, this is the idea of Apostasy. It is the deliberate or habitual continuing in or returning to error after fully understanding the truth. It is important to note here when the Bible says, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, it is not a general knowledge of the truth that's being spoken of. It's not a head knowledge of the truth that does not have depth to it. Um, we saw that back in Hebrews 6 where it talks about they were enlightened, they had tasted, they had shared in. This is a depth of understanding of the truth. It's not salvation per se. These people have not surrendered or submitted to the truth for salvation, but they have a knowledge of the truth and an understanding of the truth that is that is, that is rich, that is deep, that is real. You, you almost could say that it is experiential, that they have heard the truth and they have experienced the truth. I believe that this is possible um, back in Hebrews 6 especially that um, with the Hebrew ceremonies that were taking place during this time for people to experience these things through the ceremonies and, and through the s- Sacrifices and the rituals and the relics and those things they would experience these things in an external way, but but there truly wasn 't a change in their heart so this idea of apostasy is when somebody understands the truth, somebody knows the truth, somebody has a um, even an experience of the truth but but chooses to either stay in what they currently hold to or walk away from the truth and return back to their system the history of this text t- tends lends itself to pointing out that these hebrew people understood the truth but were being warned about returning back to their rituals and their relics and their sacrifices when it comes to how this relates to our current situation as a culture, we must remember that apostasy, in most cases, takes place in the midst of crisis. It's in the midst of challenges, it's in the midst of difficulty, it's in the midst of crisis that people's faith is tested. And and for many, it is the time where people forsake their faith. In the midst of our crises, we are often naturally prone to returning to that which is familiar and that which is safe for us. The Lord tells us in Matthew 24 and verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise. This is referring to the end times. And, And again, most of the references in Scripture that deal with this idea of apostasy, most of them... Are talking about end times. Most of them are talking about crisis moments. Most of them are talking about difficulties and challenges that cause people to forsake the truth. He says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, to cause to apostatize, if possible, even those who are elect. John MacArthur says this about apostasy. Apostasy is not an unintentional departure or personal struggle with doubt. It is a deliberate abandoning of the truth for erroneous teaching. The faith refers specifically to the body of Christian doctrine, not the act of believing. Some will depart from the faith which has been once delivered to the saints, Jude chapter number three, or verse number three. People who understand and outwardly affirm Christian doctrine, but don't have a heart for God are prime candidates for being seduced by demons away from the faith. This is John MacArthur's description, if you will, definition of apostasy. Timothy Crusoe says it this way: apostasy is the perversion, is a perversion to evil after seeming conversion from evil. Let me say that again. Apostasy is a perversion to evil after a seeming conversion from evil. A few other passages of Scripture that define for us this idea of apostasy. Second Thessalonians 4, 3 says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless a falling away happens first. And the falling away, again, is the idea of apostasizing a a uh, moving away from the truth. 2 Timothy 3, 3 and 4, the Bible says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Again, in both of these texts, you're dealing with last-day events. You're dealing with crisis moments where people are walking away from the truth. 1 Timothy 4, 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, in the last days, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Apostasy is basically, if you were just going to wrap it up in a a, a nice package, a, a... Definition: apostasy is a walking away from, a rejecting of the truth. And it usually is associated with somebody going through crisis. And this is the reason why the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel has gotten such a strong influence during difficult times, because people are looking for that alternative. And they're not looking for the call of the gospel that includes suffering and difficulty and challenges, they're looking for that gospel that, that, that promises that we will be delivered from all of this suffering, which we know is not true. So apostasy is a falling away, a walking away from that which is truth. And he, again, he says it this way, for if we go on sinning deliberately after having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's the definition, if you will, of apostasy. The second thought this morning is why why such a harsh warning? Why Why does the author of Hebrews give such a harsh warning in regards to this apostasy? Why is it such a serious thing to God? Why can't it be just handled like any other sin? And I will say this, going back to my previous thought, notice that apostasy is not... And this can be confusing. In verse number 26, the idea of going on sinning um, is not referring to immorality. It's not referring to to drunkenness. It's not referring to those types of sins. It's specifically referring to what we believe. It's referring to going on in, in error, doctrinal error, biblical error. So why is this apostasy so serious to God? Let's read in our text here, and we'll get a little bit of an idea. The Bible says, going in verse 28, anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has? And we're going to just slow down here, because this is where we're going to, we're going to meditate for a moment. And this is describing, in the Old Testament, people would, would neglect... They would forsake, they would count as a common or insignificant, the law of Moses. And the Bible says that when that happened, they would be judged strongly. In this text, he's going to talk about a different type of sin, the sin of apostasy. and He's going to describe it for us in this way. It says, who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and have profaned, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and have outraged the spirit of grace. There are three. It's interesting because first of all, you notice that those who forsook the law in the Old Testament were condemned and treated without mercy based upon two or three witnesses, right? So in this context of scripture, as we see the new covenant in place, the Bible gives us three witnesses, all three witnesses are witnessed against us, those who have apostatized back into um, false doctrine or false teaching. So remember this. Apostasy involves the deliberate, willful rejection of God's person. You'll notice in this passage of Scripture, the whole of the Trinity is mentioned. The Father, in, in regards to His relationship to His Son, His, his fatherly love, is, is forsaken it is rejected the sacrifice of the son it is profaned it is rejected as well and then the grace of the Holy Spirit is also rejected when we apostatize it means that we, we count as insignificant we, we reject the, the fullness of the Trinity it's the rejection of the father the rejection of the son and the rejection of the Holy Spirit it is not It is not enough just to hold faith in God, to have faith in God and not have faith in Christ. It's not enough to have faith in Christ and not be submissive to the Holy Spirit. The whole of the Trinity is working for the redemption of God's people and each person of the Trinity must be accepted and must be revered for salvation to be true and to be life-changing. The reason apostasy is so serious to God because it is the rejection of God's love. It is the rejection of Jesus Christ's sacrifice and it is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. It is the rejection of the whole of the Godhead. The Bible tells us in 1 John 2 and 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. In other words, we're seeing that connection of the Trinity working together. You can't have faith in one and not have faith in the other. They're they're connected together. So we see, first of all, it's serious to God because it is a rejection of the person of God. It is not only a rejection of the person of God, but it is a rejection, a willful, deliberate rejection of the work of God. We see in his love, uh, Really, the essence of the gospel, the essence of redemption is the love of God. First, our John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In rejecting the gospel, we are rejecting, in apostatizing, we are rejecting the very love that God showed towards his people. In apostasizing, we're not only rejecting the love of God, but the sacrifice, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, of God the Son. This is why it's serious. We're not only rejecting the sacrifice, but we're rejecting the grace of the Holy Spirit, the powerful grace of the Holy Spirit to give life to us. The whole of the Trinity working for our redemption and salvation, and by rejecting any part of the Of this work, we reject the whole work together. It's a rejection of the person. It's a rejection of the work. And then lastly, it is a strong rejection of these things. It's not not as if God is treating man in such a way that man is not treating God. The Bible says that he has trampled underfoot the the, um, Son of God. He has trampled underfoot God the relationship of God to the son, the, the sacrifice, the, the love of God for his son, he has counted it as an insignificant thing. He has treated it rudely. He has spurned it. He has neglected it. He has placed insult on it. This is the attitude of somebody who is apostatizing towards God's love, towards his son and God's love towards his people. It is to, it is to tread on it, to walk on it like it's nothing. This is how people are treating the Lord, and his response is strong. His response is real. His response is is just. But let us never neglect to see the attitude of the one apostatizing makes them worthy of the justice of God. He not only says that they trample underfoot, but he profanes the covenant. He profanes the blood of Christ. He counts it as an a common thing, an unclean thing, a defiled thing, or an unholy thing. The emphasis here is to count the blood of Jesus Christ as, as equal to or less than the blood of the, of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. In the same way that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were insignificant to save and insufficient to take away sins, these apostatizers are counting the blood of Christ as being incapable of saving. And then the third reason why it's so harsh in regards to the strong resistance is that they insult or they outrage the Holy Spirit. They they ultimately and utterly reject Him. Here the Holy Spirit is, He's convicting of sin and He's drawing people to Himself and they are apostatizing, they're moving away from Him. This is why the Bible tells us that to Blaspheme the Holy Spirit is the unpardonable sin. It's the sin for which there is no forgiveness. If we push the Holy Spirit's conviction away, if we we push the Holy Spirit's transforming power away, if we push the Holy Spirit's grace away, there is no salvation for us. Galatians 1.6 says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, deserting the Lord. These are strong terms that are used to describe the nature of the one who is apostatizing. This is why it's a serious thing. Apostasy is a strong emotional rejection of one or all of the persons of the Trinity, of the work of the Trinity. It is a passionate, attitude against the work of the Trinity. It is a strong rejection of God and the Son and the Holy Spirit or God the Father, God the Son, or the Holy Spirit, for they are all three one. This is why it's so serious. Number three, what are the consequences of it? In addition to the seriousness of the apostasy as relates to God, as God's perspective of it, the consequences of apostasy are equally serious as relates to man. In in other words, as God looks down on apostasy and sees it as a very serious crime against him, the response or the consequence or the judgment that he brings against it is equally serious for mankind. Mankind cannot forsake, reject, belittle, count as common the love of the Father, the blood of the Son, and the grace of the Holy Spirit, and expect to receive blessing and not justice from God. So, what does he say in this text? Listen, follow with me. If we go on sinning deliberately after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for our sins. The first thing that he says is this. The first consequence of rejecting the Lord of apostasy is there is no sacrifice for your sins. In other words, there is no way for you to be saved. If you walk away from the love of God, if you walk away from the sacrifice of Christ, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, if you walk away from the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit, there is no other way for you to be saved. There is no other sacrifice for your sins. The emphasis of this is literally that. There is, there remains, there's no longer any sacrifice for your sins if you reject the only sacrifice for your sins he says instead, verse 27, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And you just take in that verse, he talks about fearful expectation. This is, the idea of this word is this is a horrific, horrible expectation. It talks about this fury of fire He talks about adversaries. He talks about judgment. These are terms that describe those who walk away from the faith and walk into apostasy. And this is a danger that we're living in today with the slipperiness of the crisis that we are are in. If we neglect the gospel, there is no other way for salvation. We will face the just wrath of God. 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 17 says that if Christ has been if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then you, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He goes on to say anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses, how much worse punishment. So not only is there no more sacrifice, but he says, now there's a greater condemnation. There's a greater punishment. There's a greater accountability for these people who have who knew the truth but rejected the truth and became apostates. How much worse of a punishment do you think they will deserve the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, the relationship of God with His Son, has profaned the blood of the covenant, the sacrifice that was made for mankind's sins, and has pushed away or has outraged the Spirit of grace. There's a greater condemnation. There's a vengeance that takes place as well in the latter parts of this verse. He says, vengeance is mine or or, revenge is mine. It's a very strong word used to, to describe justice, that God will win out in the end. He always does. This is what makes it serious. For us, there is a serious consequence there is a seriousness to God because it is the rejection of him and his work. I want you to turn with me. Um, the last passage of Scripture that we'll turn to this morning is in Deuteronomy chapter 32. I want to just encourage you in closing. This is the, this is the passage of Scripture from which we have the, um, the passage in Hebrews. It's directly quoted back and forth throughout the passage in Hebrews. And so I want you to see a little bit of the context of this um, passage so that we can appreciate it fully. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 34, is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Verse 35, vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes quickly. We see that, you can see the the, the similar terminology that the Lord will, the Lord will have vengeance, the Lord will recompense, the Lord will repay. The time is at hand for them to slip. We must guard against slipping, but the time is at hand for the apostate to slip. I love the next part. It says in, in our text, it says, and again, it says here, and again, the Lord will judge his people. And if you go back over into our uh, Deuteronomy passage, it says, the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. You see, the, the emphasis here is that God is going to distinguish. That's what this word means in In the Greek and in the Hebrew, it means to distinguish, to to separate. God is going to separate or distinguish His people. He's going to show justice to those who are in apostasy, those who have rejected the gospel and rejected the truth, even after having a familiarity with it. But what's He going to show those who are truly His, who are strengthened, who are stabilized in these challenging times of crisis? The Bible says he's going to show compassion on them. He's going to to show grace to them and mercy to them and forgiveness of them. My challenge to us this morning is is to be on the right side of faith, to, to understand God's word, to study God's word, to appreciate God's word, to be on the right side and to guard against slipping, especially in these times that are very, very challenging for us. You may say, Pastor John, I'm not going to slip. I'm not going to apostatize. I'm not going to fall away. If you said that, you would be right in harmony with the 12 disciples of the Lord. In Mark 14, verse 26 through 31, the Bible says that they had sang a song and a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will fall away. You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus said to him, even though they all, or Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. While we all hope and believe that we would never walk away or fall away or slip away from the truth, we must all be mindful of Peter and the other apostles. On the night of the crucifixion, Peter was warned that his flesh was weak, but his spirit was ready. He was told that Satan desired to have him that he might sift him like wheat. But the Lord was praying for his faith. And in that night, Peter failed miserably. He cuts off a man's ear. He denies even knowing the Lord to a point of cursing the Lord. What a horrific night for Peter. We must guard against this same failure. And if we do fail, if we do stumble, if we do doubt, we must trust in the sufficiency of Christ to bring us back. As relates this morning to the coronavirus, the coronavirus desires to have us, that it might sift sift us like wheat. Its goal is not only to steal our health, but its main goal is to steal our faith. Its main goal is to cause us to doubt or question God's goodness, God's grace, his ability to heal and to save. We must resist the temptation to falling away or to adjusting our perspective of God, and we must grow stronger in understanding his sovereignty and his grace and know that his grace is sufficient to keep us and to stabilize us in these difficult moments. Jude, in verse number 3, the Bible says, Beloved, Though I was very eager to write to you about this common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all, that was once for all delivered to the saints. My challenge to us this morning is is to contend for the faith, to stand strong, to stand sure, to stand solid on the work of Christ, on the love of God and on the grace of the Holy Spirit, and refuse to slip, even a little bit refuse to slip. And I pray that in this journey, we will not move further away from the Lord, but closer to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for the warning that we have received here, not to walk away, not to let things slip or slide, but to be to be strong in the faith, to be moving closer to you and not further away. And I pray, dear God, that you would take this message and you would use it to be a blessing to those who are going through this crisis that we as Christians would shine forth as lights in this dark world. We'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I pray that this message will be an encouragement to your heart I also invite you to just pray with us on this journey as we work to becoming more virtually gifted, if you will, and work to become more talented at utilizing these resources. I just ask that you would be praying with us and, and asking God to help us in this on this journey. I also would love to just say a few words about what's coming up in the future. We are anticipating having services on Easter morning. We're praying in faith that God's going to open up the door for us to be able to have services on Easter morning. But if we don't, we will definitely um, continue to live stream or to stream the services for your benefit. And we pray that you'll take advantage of that opportunity and um, continue to grow in your walk with the Lord. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a wonderful day and week.